Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4, 23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the types of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. As we read the Word of God this morning, I'm just going to warn you, it's a little long, so... <laughs> As you are able. <laughs> Reading from Mark chapter 5... Verse 21, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed around him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him, except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in to where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, rise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. the faith we sing if you don't know this piece it's in your pew 
be seated. So we are now in our second week of this series of getting our life back. And I brought today an exhibit to show you something we're all familiar with. We all know what it is. <laughs> we all probably have one with us or on us or very close to our person, even at this moment. And I think it's the source of a lot of distractions for us and as we're looking to get our lives back, as we're looking to reclaim our lives from all the distractions that we have in life, I'm reminded of Mark 10:39 that whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So it's not about finding our lives again. It's about losing our lives. And it's about letting Jesus reclaim what is his. These are obviously, can be a source of distraction. If you are a teacher, you probably battle them daily. Um, if you are even a student, um, it is constantly calling your attention. Um, even as parents, as adults, they are just a part of our lives now. They're a part of our daily interactions and how we go about our business. But that's not the first time we've had distractions. If we go back and look even back in history, people have been trying to remove themselves from distractions for a long time. We can go back to John the Baptist was an Essene and it was a sect of Judaism. It's why he wore the clothes he did. They separated themselves. They followed a special diet. They lived in the desert. They were celibate. They were trying to remove themselves from the distractions that were presenting themselves to them at that time. And then we have, even in the early church, there were the desert mothers and fathers. In about the second century, Christians started moving out to the desert for a variety of reasons, but a lot of it was to remove themselves from distractions. And then from that came the monasteries and the monks and monasticism. So you can see all throughout time, we've been trying to do that in various and different ways. So it's not a new problem. It's not a new problem that scripture doesn't address. It's daily life. It's the things that we go about on a daily basis, our task, our entertainment, our work, our studying, exercise, all those things are good. So at what point do they become a distraction? And then at what point do they possibly even cross over into sin? I think they become a sin when those things become an idol. When they begin to shape our hearts and our minds and start making us into their image instead of God shaping our hearts and minds and creating us and realizing that we were made in his image. It's not a sin to sit down on your phone, scroll through it for a little bit and take a little bit of a mental break. I will confess my children are now, let's see, 24, 21, and 15. When they were little, if you heard me tell my testimony a few weeks ago, my husband traveled a lot. Y'all, I used to have a stool in my pantry, which was useful in my pantry to get things up off the top shelf. 
but it was also useful for me to sit on and close the pantry door and hide from my children sometimes. <laughs> there were times where we just need those moments. <laughs> we need to get away from it, and we need to just have a moment. At the time, there were cell phones, obviously, but there, there wasn't, uh, we didn't have quite as much accessible on our phones, but I would sit in there, true confessions usually, eat some Oreos that I kept stashed that the kids didn't know about. Um, <laughs> But we need those moments to take a break. We need those opportunities to get away. And what we're seeking is, is brief moments of healing in those moments. That's what we're actually seeking. And it's when we become more reliant on those things for our healing than we do on Jesus for our healing. In those early days of the, the Desert Fathers, kind of the, the movement that led to that was Anthony, and he lived in the desert and kind of started that, um, or really kind of was the bridge between those Desert Fathers and the monastic movement. And someone asked him one time, what shall I do in order to please God? And he replied, do what I tell you, which is this, wherever you go, keep God in mind. Whatever you do, follow the example of Holy Scripture. And wherever you are, stay there and do not move away in a hurry. How much of our day and into night is spent moving from one task hurriedly to the next task? That's the mode we stay in. How often do we just stay where we are and not hurry from place to place and not hurry from task to task. Long before there was technology and modern distractions, people have attempted to distance themselves from that pace and the priorities of the world. And the purpose of worship, one of the reasons that we come back to worship and the purpose of scripture and liturgy is to reshape our hearts and our minds. We are shaped and formed for six days by the world. And then we come on Sundays and we allow God's presence and Holy Spirit to help to reform our hearts and minds in God's image. We meet with God in his presence when we worship. And we embrace that time to be healed, to be reshaped, to be reformed, to not hurry to move at an entirely different pace from what the rest of the world is doing out there. To stop and not hurry from task to task. Like I said, when I was young, or younger as a mom, I took those moments in my, in my pantry to get away. And coming out of this season of having just finished seminary in May, um, this spring I was taking my last in-person class, was sitting next to a friend that I had made over, over that time while I was in school, and she was graduating in May as well. We were talking one night at dinner, and she said, you know, I think seminary is one of the worst spiritual practices you can ever do. Because <laughs> it's hard, and it takes a lot of time, and it takes a lot of energy, and you know what you're doing is wonderful, but it takes your daily life and it turns it upside down. She was a mom of two kids as well, working part-time, going to school full-time, um, completing her degree. And sometimes we need those times away from that. 
And as wonderful as seminary was, it kind of disrupted my normal routines of being in scripture. It, it took being able to sit in scripture to starting to read it sometimes and be tempted to, I got to check this off my list. I got to get my quiet time in. Sometimes it was hard to shut off the analysis in my brain or, you know, oh, wait, can I use this for a paper or something along those lines instead of just being unhurried in God's word. I think that's what we all need. We all need to stop and be unhurried. And that's one of the ways that we get our life back because it allows space and allows time for Jesus to be in there. When we're reading the scripture today, I posted on my Facebook page, and I'm going to post on the KMC page as well. If you go and watch the clip of this from The Chosen, I dare you not to tear up in it. Um, it is just beautiful. Because Jesus, it, it displays that, that throng of the crowds around them. And they're obviously in a hurry. Jairus' daughter is sick. He, they're trying to get Jesus there in time to heal her. But the pace that they capture this moment in, that, in the movie is just beautiful. Jesus stops. And he turns. And he knows who it is. But he gives her the space and the time to come to him. To return to his presence. And to be there with them. And he kneels down and he touches her. To which she says, no, 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 don't, don't, don't. I'm unclean. And he's like, no, no, you are not. You are healed. Amen. And it's just this beautiful, unhurried moment. And the beautiful thing about it is in that moment, Jesus calls her daughter. And then as he goes on, as word has come that Jairus' daughter has passed away, he calls her daughter as well. It's a way of connecting, of stopping. We're all bombarded by the world. We're bombarded what sometimes can feel like being caught up in a crowd that's pushing us and shoving us and that that has control. Where even if we're walking on our own accord, you know how it is when you're in a crowd, you really, you can't go much faster than the crowd and you can't slow down too much. You just kind of start moving with the crowd. And I think that's what life can be like sometimes. Whether we work, whether we stay at home, or work part-time, all those lines get blurred. I know for me, when I was in school, I always felt like I needed to be someplace else than where I was. It was hard. If I was with my family, I felt like I needed to be studying. If I was studying, I felt like I probably should be doing something for work. If I was at work, I felt like I should be studying. And it was just this endless loop. <laughs> and so how do we stop that? How do we make moments and space for God in those situations when that visual and that auditory stimulation is coming at us constantly from so many different places? When the world's expectations are coming at us, the expectations of who we're supposed to be as a parent, a provider for our kids, what they're supposed to strive for in their daily lives, the the issues and things that they face at school on a daily basis. 
the world's messages that come at us. That you're not enough. You're never going to be enough. If we're looking at our phones, everyone else is having way more fun than we are. They have more friends, they're traveling more than you. All those messages, all those things coming at us from the world. And our temptation becomes to base our value on something other than how God sees you. Because when you have responded to God's love and grace and mercy and accepted him as your savior, you are his son or his daughter. And the world attempts to silence that. The world's expectations and the world's priorities tell us something different. I think that that's what those early Christians, what the Essenes were separating themselves from. They were attempting to silence the world's expectations and priorities so they could more clearly see, hear, and experience God. So they could silence the idols that either they had created or the culture and society around them had created. They wanted God to interrupt their daily lives so they could hear his voice clearly. So when we go back to scripture, we see God's view of interruptions because we see how Jesus responded to this interruption. Jairus came to Jesus, faced him, got down on his knees, begged him, implored him to come and save his son. He was a very important man. He was high ranking. And Jesus responded, absolutely, yes, take me to your daughter. So he was doing something important. Because I know even for myself, it's easy to think, well, I've, I've got to get this done. This is important. And to not be open to the fact that God is a God of interruptions. And just like we know what love looks like because of how Jesus lived it out here on earth, Jesus showed us his love and his mercy and his healing are demonstrated when Jesus is interrupted. He gets interrupted all the time. He's interrupted in the garden when he's praying. He gets interrupted when he's taking a nap on the ship, trying to get a little nap in. He lives a life of interruptions. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So how do we start to embrace interruptions and make space for dis divine disruptions in our lives? How do we start to make space for that divine presence of God? Before we can respond to those interruptions and those divine disruptions with that love and that grace, we have to first acknowledge that Jesus showed us what it looked like and what he did, and that he is the healer. He is the redeemer of those situations. We're not going to fix them. Jesus is. That healing was available to the woman through her faith. She had, it says, had spent all of her money. She had been trying for years to do this. She would have been isolated because she wouldn't have been able to go to the temple because she would have been unclean. And keep in mind, there's a difference between being unclean and sin. But she would have been unclean and unable to participate in so much of their society and so much of her community. 
She didn't have any more money. She had tried everything. All she wanted to do was grasp Jesus' garment, to just touch it. What a difference. A man who has all the power, a woman who has none, and Jesus gladly stopped for her. His healing was available to her through her faith. She acted on that faith, and Jesus responded, and that is what we are called to do as well. We have to be willing to interrupt our current lives and allow Jesus to come into our lives. We have to make that space. We have to disconnect from things. We have to stop what we're hearing from the world. We have to stop hurrying from task to task. Get our lives back because we've lost it in Jesus. We have to be able to respond to that love and grace and mercy that Jesus is extending to us. It's a big risk, though, because it means our lives should look different from those around us, that our priorities are going to be different, that our schedules are going to be different, that things that we watch and participate in are going to be different than those around us. Jesus demonstrated through his healing of the woman and of Jairus' daughter his dominion over and his authority over sin and death. It was about the healing that allows for new life in Jesus. That woman, as she was redeemed, had a new life that was available to her because of her faith. Jairus' daughter had new life again in Jesus. Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted from that daily task. And it was an important one. And so we need to allow for and create interruptions in our daily tasks so that we can experience the presence of Jesus. Jesus responded to both situations. Sometimes it's easier to pay more attention to the one that seems more pressing, that seems more important but sometimes where our attention needs to be is sometimes in the more insignificant one or seemingly more insignificant one. Remember when I took first aid, we would do these um, mock uh, first aid situations. It was an advanced first aid course. And so they would have like a mock school bus wreck. And one of the things that they would do is they would have the, the people laying out there and you had to go out and triage them and decide who needed to be treated and stuff. And it was really easy to get distracted. I learned this in my first first lesson. It was easy to get distracted by the person who was screaming because they had broken their femur and forget to check their airway. <laughs> Obviously, if they're, I guess if they're screaming, but, or their blood, or if they're bleeding. Like, sometimes the things that seem most important, that are the loudest, get our attention the most. But sometimes it's the people who are the quietest that need our attention the most as well. And Jesus didn't distinguish between them. He went with both. He called both of them daughter. He redeemed and restored and healed both of them. Jesus showed us what his love and his mercy 
and healing looks like in an interruption. As we begin to interrupt our lives, as we allow that space and that time, and we do that through scripture, through prayer, through fasting, we do that when we minimize the distractions that we have, and we make sure that those are not becoming idols in our life, so that we have more room to experience the presence of Jesus and respond in the way that Jesus would, to be less hurried, to be able to slow down in the moment and move at a pace that is different from the world's. Jesus responded to both situations with the same attention. He called them both daughters because there are no second-class healings. There is not one person or one sin or one lack of sin that is more important than the other. Jesus called them both daughter. He made sure that they both had his full attention. It's not based on what you or I have done. It is all the gift of grace. We were created to live in God's presence in union with Christ through the Holy Spirit, and we are called to respond to God's grace. God is just waiting to interrupt our lives and offer us new life. And throughout this series, as we continue talking about pausing and using the app to help us take those moments to pause, to pray, to be in God's presence, it's helping us to disconnect from our normal pace, from our normal duties. We still got kids to feed. We still have jobs to do. We still have errands to run. But what does it look like when we do those at a different pace? What if... The interruption is the conversation we have with the person at the checkout and the opportunity to pray with someone. Those are the opportunities and those are the interruptions. Those are the divine disruptions that we need to leave room for. Just like the desert Christians and the Essenes and the monks, we need to step out of our daily lives. Not suggesting we all move to the desert or go to a monastery, <laughs> although I wouldn't mind, maybe a week. Um, <laughs> But how do we create that in our own lives? How do we create these little mini Garden of Edens where we are walking in God's presence in the cool of the evening with God? That's what we were created for. That's whose image we were created in. And when we create those interruptions by intentionally unplugging or creating space in our lives or shutting out the noise of the world, we're creating space for Jesus to enter into our lives to have those God moments. And God moments are when we experience shalom, true peace. When we respond to interruptions the same way that Jesus did, then we have the opportunity to share God's love and grace and mercy through the Holy Spirit with those around us. It allows us to create moments of shalom with someone else. And when God is the source of that love in our lives and we allow ourselves to be that conduit, then we become a part of that God moment as well. It allows us to remember 
what Jesus did for us, that he has healed and redeemed us. And what better way to do that than to share that with someone else who's interrupting your life, your daily routine, to provide them that good news, the good news of the gospel. It provides us with an opportunity to pray, to worship, Sabbath, and read scripture, and experience true Christian community. I wrote down a few of the ways that God interrupts us, just to give us a little idea of all the different ways. I think sometimes we think God is going to show up in really big ways, but pretty much when you start to read scripture, he does show up in big ways, but he shows up while people are living their lives. Noah, he's minding his own business, not even raining. God tells him to build an ark. Joseph has already had his dreams and realizes he's going to save Israel someday. And his brothers threw him down a well. That was a big interruption in his plans, or so he thought. Moses was out tending sheep when God called him to go to the Pharaoh. David, he was delivering food for his brothers. And he ended up fighting Goliath. Esther was living a nice, simple life. She basically entered a beauty pageant and became queen. Her whole life was interrupted. Mary and Joseph, they were planning a wedding. And look what happened. The shepherds were tending their sheep. Simon was fishing. Matthew was busy collecting taxes. And Saul was on his way to Damascus. In all of those ways, God's re God reaches into our lives and interrupts what we are doing and calls us to new life and calls us his sons and daughters. It becomes all too easy to get caught up in our lives and forget to carve out that time for Jesus. But through that, he heals and restores us. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, sons and daughters. So those divine disruptions, they not only disrupt our routines and our priorities, but those divine disruptions destroy false idols. And those divine disruptions lead to new life that is unrecognizable to our lives before through God's healing and redemption through Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.